Hebrews chapter 7. Chapter 7. <clears throat> Last week's message was from Hebrews chapter 4. And the title of it was Jesus Christ, No Imaginary Savior. Not to his people he is. Our text was from verse 14 of that chapter, Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. Brethren, stand fast. Our profession. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. And in my introduction to that message, I read these verses that we read together a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 7. Paul is continuing the same thought, the same subject. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, now in heaven, doing what? Interceding for his people. Let's read verses 24 and 25 again. Here in Hebrews 7, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, like himself, unchanging. Wherefore, wherefore, because he does, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. I am so glad that God saves old sinners, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Glancing over my notes from last week, I saw this statement that I had jotted down. Jesus Christ is a real Savior with real grace that brings real salvation to real sinners. I hope God implants that in your heart and in your minds because that's good news. That's good news. That's the best news I ever heard in my life. And that's a good definition of the gospel, isn't it? That's a good definition of the gospel of God's grace. Larry, you may be thinking, I thought gospel meant good news or glad tidings. Yes, it does. And it's just because Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost, that's what makes it good news. Huh? If he's only trying to save somebody, I don't find any good news in that. Do you, Billy? None whatsoever. If he's just giving everybody a chance and waiting for them to take the first step, don't call that gospel <laughs> because there's no good news in it. But as we read here in Hebrews 7 and 25, by the way, this is our text. He is able also to save them, no matter who they may be, no matter how many of them they may be, he's able to save them to the uttermost. I like that word, don't you? Uttermost. Uttermost. I mean, you can't get beyond uttermost. My sin may reign, oh, but his grace reigns uttermost, above and beyond all my sin. And that statement, again, I say, caught my attention. And I thought that would be a good outline for today's message. 
Jesus Christ is a real Savior with real grace that brings a real salvation for real sinners. And I'm going to start with the first clause there. Jesus Christ, a real Savior. A real Savior, that's the title. A real Savior for real sinners. That's the place to start. Start any place else and you'll go wrong. Absolutely. Start any place else, especially with man. That's what's wrong with, that's the whole basis of call it what you will, Arminian theology or free will theology. It starts in the wrong place. It starts with man. It starts with man. It, it can only go wrong. Oh, but the message of God's grace, it starts with him. In the beginning, God. And what's true in creation is true in providence and salvation. It begins with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation for everything. Because without this foundation to build on, a real Savior, there won't be a building. There's no building without a foundation. This is exactly what Paul told the church at Corinth. Those people that were puffed up. Puffed up. And they're, they're not, they don't have a monopoly on that. <laughs> Pride is a wicked weed that will grow anywhere, and oh, how it tries to flourish in pulpits, what this man is trying to preach to you right now. Oh, that wicked weed, pride. But Paul told them, those who were trying or thinking of other foundations, I want to build my hope, my, my foundation upon Paul. No, another said Cephas. Oh, I like Apollos. What an orator. Apollos is. If he's not preaching, I'm not even going to go. <laughs> and Paul said, listen, listen, you puffed up. Let me remind you of something. Other foundation can no man lay other than that which is already laid, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation that God Almighty laid. Hmm. That's exactly what he said in Isaiah chapter 28. Perhaps you thought of this verse, verse 16 of Isaiah 28. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God. Now that should get our attention. This is not what Baptists say. <laughs> this is what God said. Behold, God says, I lay in Zion. I'm laying this in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. A sure foundation. That's what I need. <laughs> and he that believeth shall not make haste. And many times in the Gospels, our Lord referred to that verse himself. Paul wrote about it, referred to it. In Romans chapter 9, Paul was speaking of that when he wrote, Behold, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Peter, likewise, in 1 Peter 2 and 6, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, what we just read from Isaiah 28, it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth shall not be confounded. Isaiah says he shall not make haste. Paul said he shall not be ashamed. Peter said he shall not be confounded. Basically, it all means the same thing. He who rests on Jesus Christ shall not have the shame of disappointment. 
He'll never have to flee in panic in search of another foundation. I'm sure I told you the story about my granddaughter Harley when she was just a little squirt. And uh, she was visiting us, and she was doing something that Paul Paul told her for the third time, don't do it. She went to do it anyway. And I stood up and started walking toward her, and she said, now, Paul, 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 let's just all calm down. <laughs> let's just all calm down. With such a foundation that we're resting on, this foundation that God has laid and not man, there's no need to panic. Make haste. Make haste. We make mistakes when we get in a hurry, don't we? We get in a hurry, we make mistakes. We get rushed, we get flustered. We get anxious. We might call it in our day, we get discombobulated. The opposite of being calm. Martha was making haste, wasn't she? But I like Mary's example so much better, don't you? And she had a sister called Mary, Martha did, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She wasn't making haste. What a picture of contentment. What a picture of calmness. Oh, but Martha, a picture of the very opposite. Making haste, being confounded, being shamed. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you even care that my sister here, that, that lazy sister of mine sitting at your feet, has left me alone to do all this? This took me by surprise. She was discombobulated. She was making haste. And I, I imagine that our Lord's words to her were the very opposite of what she expected to hear from him. She thought what he would rebuke Mary and say, get out there in the kitchen and help your sister. And he said, oh, Martha, Martha. <laughs> You're anxious, careful, troubled. You're making haste. Making haste, getting worried about so many things. Martha, in your haste, in your confusion, you've forgotten this. You've forgotten this. You're out there preparing bread when the bread of life is making a visit to your home. <laughs> Mary, Martha rather, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, oh my soul, that God would impress on me that every day when the, I first open my eyes, Mary, the day you need to remember this foremost, before you take a step, before you get out of bed, there's one thing needful, one thing needful, one thing needful. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Begin your day by seeking Him, by looking to Him, thanking Him, worshiping Him. One thing's needful. And Mary has chosen that good part that shall not be taken away from her. Another example of being confused, ashamed, making haste in a hurry. Remember the children of Israel at the Red Sea? Moses had brought them out. Man, they left Egypt. They'd been in bondage all those years. They had felt the whip of the taskmasters, and they were coming out. Let my people go. Pharaoh said, I, won't, I don't know you're a God and I won't let the people go, but he did. <laughs> he had a change of heart, didn't he? And here he comes, oh, with his mighty armies, his captains, his horses, his chariots, and the children of Israel are at the Red Sea. 
He looked behind him and said, oh, my soul, let's make haste. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Some commentators say there was either there was a million to three million people. Can you imagine it? And every one of them turned and pointed at Moses and said, this is your fault. We knew better. We should have known better than to listen to you. This is in, this is in Exodus chapter, chapter 14. We'd have been better off. Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt to put us in? Why'd you bring us out here? Oh, what are we going to do? Hmm. Making haste, Moses said, here's a picture I like much better. Moses said to the people, fear ye not, stand still. Martha, like Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, stand still, just stand still. Be quiet, be quiet. Quit making haste, quit pulling out your hair, quit biting your fingernails. Is God on the throne or not? Hmm? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh yeah. Which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom ye see right now that's causing you so much concern, so much turmoil, so much trouble of mind. Those that you see today, you're going to see them again no more forever. The Lord's going to fight for you and you're going to just shut up and watch it. Be still and hold your peace. That's a good picture of that is the hymn we closed our service with last Sunday, The Solid Rock. Oh, on page 272, it expresses this truth very well, doesn't it, about the foundation that we're built upon, that we trust on. There's some good theology in those old hymns, aren't there? Can't say that about so many that are written today. Let's all go down to the river. There's a man there walking on the water. Hmm. I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> oh, no, I like this so much better. When darkness veils his lovely face, and it does. Often it does. What do I do then? Hmm? Go out in the kitchen and rattle the pots and pans? Blame somebody? <laughs> no, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around me, when all around my soul gives way, he is still all my hope and all my stay. Hmm? If he's the foundation that God Almighty has laid, and I'm on him, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. I will never. There's not a wave big enough. There's not a storm strong enough. There's not a wind fierce enough that can blow me off the foundation of Jesus Christ. It'll never happen. It will never happen. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Someone said they quoted that hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand, and they went on to say, all other rocks are sham rocks. <laughs> Every other foundation is a sham. It's fake. It's not the foundation that God's laid. Every other hope, every profession, every religious experience not built on Jesus Christ is a sham. It's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. Without a real Savior, there can be no real grace. 
And without real grace, there can be no real salvation. And without Christ, without grace, without salvation, there's no real hope for sinners, is there? There's no hope. There's no hope. John 1 and 17. The law was given by Moses. And by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in the sight of God because by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given to shut our mouths and prove our guilt before a holy God. The law was never intended to save anybody. That wasn't God's purpose. The law was used in the hands of God's Holy Spirit to show us our need of a Savior and to bring us to Christ. Yes, the law was given by Moses, but, but, blessed interjection, but... Grace, oh, that's what I need. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Nobody else. No other way. Never, never. But not is the offense in Romans 5, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead. I didn't stump my toe when I fell in Adam. I died. Much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, had abounded unto many. Our Lord told the religious elite in his day, have you never read in the scriptures? And they had. They had many times. But they had blinders on. He said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the headstone of the corner. This is from Psalm 118. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Remember what our Lord said to Peter. When Peter confessed that Christ was his one and only foundation. His only hope. Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. So what? So the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is that rock upon which his church is built. And I'm not talking about this building. This this building is not his church. His church are the people who gather in this building to worship God. Oh, what a foundation. A sure foundation, precious to all those that put their trust in him, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. Saints above, already in heaven, and saints below, still on earth. They're all on the same foundation. In all ages, at all times, in all places, Christ is the precious cornerstone. He's that pearl of great price, precious to his Father who loves him and delights in him and has chosen him and laid the foundation of his church on the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, how precious is he to every believer. Peter wrote again in 1 Peter 2, Unto you that believe, he's precious. He's precious. Why all these empty pews? Because to most people, he's not precious. To most people, they could care less. They're more concerned about the Super Bowl today than they are worshiping God Almighty. And a lot of them profess to know him. Mm. Something wrong with that picture. Something bad wrong with that picture. Oh, but to those who believe, who have built their hope upon this foundation, this solid rock, oh, Jesus Christ is precious. He's the most precious thing in their life. 
the most precious relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that woman. I hope I don't embarrass her. <laughs> but I do. Wouldn't have married her if I didn't. She's precious to me. She's precious. I, I thank God for the relationship I have with her. Oh, but there's one. That relationship, oh, it grows into almost insignificance compared to my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I may leave this world, or she may leave this world, and that, that union will be broken, be torn asunder by death. But all but this, this union I have with the Son of God, nothing, nothing can put it asunder. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is the message that Peter preached to the Sanhedrin. That stone that ye refused, that you said it not, that you said had no place in your building, is made the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We've all heard the story. The traveling salesman. He gets lost. I mean, he's lost. He pulls up to a country store. There's two old gentlemen sitting there in their bib overhauls, chewing tobacco and sharing a spittoon, and the salesman rolls down his window and says, Fellas, I'm lost. Can you tell me how to get to dust and dust? And they said, You can't get there from here. <laughs> Anybody that begins anywhere else seeking salvation that doesn't begin with Jesus Christ, they'll never get there. They'll never be saved. Yesterday, while I was studying, Robin said, there's someone coming at the door. And I thought, well, why doesn't she answer it? Then I found out why. They knocked on the door and I answered it. It was a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. And he, you could tell this fellow had memorized his whatever you want to call it. And he was getting, I said, partner, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm very busy. Would you just cut to the chase? He said, oh, yeah, and he opened his satchel, and I saw Watchtower. I said, I'm not interested. Have a good day. Probably shouldn't have said that much, but I am not interested. Jehovah's Witnesses, not hardly, not hardly. They're telling lies on God. They're telling lies on God. And in any religion, I don't care how pretty it is, how much it's dressed up, how polite, how nice, how... To get along, I mean, it, that, the, if they lay a foundation on anything for a sinner's acceptance before God Almighty, besides Jesus Christ, they're telling lies on God. That's exactly so, exactly so. Oh, Jesus Christ is that rock upon which God Almighty has built his church. I've had people also tell me, and I know you've experienced this. Well, you know, inviting the church, and I say, well, you know, I don't need to worship God. I don't need to be in a building to worship God. You know, I, I worship God in my own way. Well, what's that? Well, I worship God while I'm fishing. I worship God while I'm out chasing a deer. Uh, I find God in nature. A believer finds God. A believer sees God everywhere, doesn't he? A believer does. Believers does. Oh, so you find God in nature, really? No one is, you can hug every tree in the forest and kiss every toad you come across. You're not going to, you can stand out there and stare at the biggest mountain you can see. You will not 
find the answer to how I could be just with God if you stand there until moss grows over your eyelids. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. This is what happens when men think they find God in nature. What, did, what does Paul tell us in Romans 1? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the, cre- the creature, the creation, rather than the creator. Man, we see that right before our very eyes, don't we? Oh, but the real Savior, Jesus Christ, he says this to every needy sinner. We may not get past this first division, but that'll be okay. This is the most important part, a real Savior. This is what he says to every needy sinner. Look unto me. Look unto me. The devil will say, no, look like he whispered to Eve. Has God really said that? Look to the altar. Look to the preacher. Look to the the decision card. Look to the water. Look to the scripture. Look to the doctrine. And Jesus Christ said, Look unto me. Look unto me. You want to be saved? Look unto me. You can't be saved by looking to anything or anyone else. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. A just God and a Savior. One old brother expressed it like this in a hymn he wrote. On Christ's salvation rest secure. The rock of ages must endure. No, no, nor can that faith be overthrown which rests upon the living stone. No other hope shall intervene. To him we look, on him we lean. Other foundations we disown and build on Christ the living stone. Only a real Savior, and here's the second thought, can give real grace. Real grace. Grace that saves. That only comes from Christ as we've already read. Real grace, that means unmerited. Billy Cobb, there's nothing you ever did, nothing you've ever done or ever will do that merits God's grace. It's never happened, has it? I'm glad you're shaking your head no, because none of us have. No, grace is unmerited. That means you can't earn it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's unearned. It's unsought. Initially, it's unsought. We seek him, yes, but we seek him because he seeks us. Grace is for the unpeople. Brother Darwin had an article about that, didn't he? The unpeople, ungodly, unholy, undone, unable, unable. Can real grace save such wretches as that? Does God's grace that we just heard Brother Dave sing, does it really save old, hardened, fallen sinners? Does real grace do that? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because while real grace is unmerited and unsought and undeserved, it's also undefeated. <laughs> oh, glory to his name. It's und- Do you think that son of yours or that daughter or that grandson or that granddaughter or whoever may be coming to your mind right now, do you think they were hardened? 
you think they were as lost, any more lost than Saul of Tarsus was that day on the Damascus Road? He hated Jesus Christ. He hated the name Jesus. He was convinced that he's an imposter. He's trying to destroy the tradition and religion of my fathers. And he said, I'm going to, dis I'm going to erase that name off the face of the earth. I will kill, do whatever I have to do. If I hear that name on the lips of anybody, men, women, it doesn't make any difference to me. And what happened to Saul? What happened to Saul of Tarsus? Jesus Christ, the mighty God, he that's able to save to the uttermost that day on the Damascus Road said to Saul of Tarsus, come down, sinner. And down he came. And if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and the day and forever, he's got the same power, he's mighty to save. Whether it's my wayward son or daughter or grandchildren or yours, God Almighty can bring them down. Oh, I pray that he does. I remember hearing Brother Moose Parks one time. Oh, how he prayed for his son, his daughter. The more he prayed, the more unconcerned they became. And he said one time he got a call, I think it was in the wee hours, but the, the, the wee hours, and it was his son, D. He said, oh, Daddy, Daddy, obviously crying. Daddy, I'm lost. I'm lost. Moose said that's the best thing he'd ever heard in his life. God done got his son lost. Thank God that we're sin abounded, grace doth much Abound. Does grace really reign? Are the words of that old hymn really true? Is his grace greater than all my sin? Can his grace really pardon and cleanse within? Is this true? Where sin abounded, his grace doth much more abound. Is the real grace that is in Jesus Christ such grace to me? Huh? I mean, oh, God forbid that I'm just standing outside looking in. Huh? Have I tasted myself of his grace? As He's precious to you, Peter wrote, to you that have tasted the Lord is gracious. I could describe to you, try to describe to you the enchiladas that my wife makes. Bobby, I'll tell you what, they're better than the Mexican place that we go to. They're much better. And I can kick back in my Easy chair and eat them, you know. But I could describe to, try to describe to you how good they are. But you really wouldn't get it, would you? Unless I put one in front of you and you took a bite. You experienced it. You tasted it. Oh, yes. God's grace reigns. God's grace saves. God's grace is abundant. Oh, but have I tasted it for myself or have I just learned some words? Oh, no. I want to taste his grace. Is this true of me? Concerning those who are built upon this foundation, we read that sin shall not have dominion over you. And there is a theology today that tells people that that's not true in so many words. You can make a decision for Jesus and then go out and just live like hell, like you've always done, but you're still a Christian. Oh, my soul, what a lie. What a, you're just a carnal Christian. You're going to lose a little reward. Oh, God, have mercy upon such folks. Is it true? 
that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. He has something in him that's not of this world that only can be explained by an operation of God Almighty. Is that true of me? That's real grace. Old Spurgeon said, Take heed above everything of a waxen profession that will not stand the sun. Take care of a life that needs to have two faces to carry it about. Be one thing or else the other. If you make up your mind to serve Satan, do not pretend to serve God. And if you serve God, serve him with all your heart. Exactly. Oh, for grace to possess, not merely to profess. Real salvation. Real salvation. That's the third thought. The third thought. The text calls it uttermost salvation. Now, it may be best for me to encourage you just to go home and get alone with God and think about that uttermost salvation. See if you can get to the end of it. You can't. <laughs> you can uttermost salvation. I love that word. Salvation that can't be explained except by a miracle of God's grace. Salvation that only the great God and Savior can perform. Salvation that is so to the uttermost that it will not only keep me from falling, oh, it'll go beyond that. The uttermost says it will, it will keep me from falling and do this. Present me faultless, not only without sin, but without fault before the throne of God. Oh, that's uttermost, that's uttermost salvation. The salvation, as old Newton said, could only be explained this way. It's the result of amazing grace. It doesn't take God's amazing grace. It doesn't take a work of God's miracle, working grace to walk up an aisle, to repeat a sinner's prayer, to get slapped on the back and tell me I did, a, did God a favor. That doesn't take grace. It just takes some persuasion of some lost preacher. Oh, but to know the living God, to know whom I have believed, oh, that takes a miracle. That takes a miracle that can only be performed by the God of all grace, who is mighty to save. Oh, out of the depths, the psalmist said, out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Oh, I was at the bottom most, but his grace reached down to the uttermost. He reached down his hand for me. I was lost and undone without God and his son when he reached down his hand for me. The Lord will give grace, yes, and glory from the guttermost, to the uttermost. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Last of all, a real Savior with real grace that brings a real salvation is only for real sinners. Can't, can't turn you loose until we mention a few things about that. Real sinners. Brother Scott Richardson, I don't know how often during a message that he was preaching, he would just stop. And look out. I think of in Danville at the conferences. The place was just packed. And Scott would look at it and say, Oh, I wonder, is there a sinner in the house? Is there a sinner in the house? Hmm? If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Is anybody thirsty? Oh, God's real grace from a real Savior is for real sinners. Our Lord said, they that behold me, not a physician, but they that are sick. He told the Pharisees, go and learn what that means. 
I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I cannot think of any way that expresses this better than from the lines of old Joseph Hart's hymn. I quote it often. But what comfort can a Savior bring to those who never felt their woe? A sinner is a sacred thing. The Holy Ghost had made him so. New life from him we must receive before for sin we rightly grieve. This faithful saying let us own, well worthy it is to be believed, that Christ into this world came down, that sinners might by him be saved. Sinners are high in his esteem, and sinners highly value him. Real sinners, without strength, without hope, that have nothing, can claim nothing, and can do nothing, like that thief on the cross. Mm. Ooh, if I could find somebody like that. <laughs> I've got good news. He couldn't be baptized. <laughs> he couldn't walk to the front of the church. He couldn't repeat the sinner's prayer. All he could do, and this he did by the grace of God, is look over to that one hanging in the center, on that center cross, and say, Lord, remember me. Hmm. Huh? Lord, remember me when thou comest into the kingdom, thy kingdom. And that one who is able to save to the uttermost, all that come unto God by him, even while he hung on the cross, answered that poor, helpless, dying sinner with these matchless words of grace. Today, today, oh my soul, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And not long after that, after the Lord Jesus Christ cried at his finish, he took that trophy of his mighty saving grace and marched into heaven with him and presented him to the Father as one that he had committed into his son's hands and he had redeemed a trophy of his mighty grace. And all the ten thousands times ten thousand and thousands of thousands of angels and sinners already there by virtue of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, joined together in singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, but not to then how much I owe. Then I shall know and appreciate so much more than I can now that Jesus Christ is a great Savior with great grace that brings great salvation that saved this great sinner. Worthy is the Lamb. God bless you. Thank you for your attention.